0: Hi, you're listening to Hearth and Soul. I'm your host, Angela Torres-Cuckune. I'm the head chef and food manager at Spoken, a cafe in the Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago. I'm also a professional singer and a core member and the director of operations for Forte Chicago, Chicago's only all-female opera improv and sketch comedy troupe. I'm a self-labeled foodie, a food nerd, and a history buff. I love nothing more than to nerd out about food. But enough about me. Hearth and Soul is a podcast that strives to explore nourishment, how we feed our bodies, our minds, and our souls. We cover a wide range of topics, including the everyday mundane and the celebratory. We believe that food is the one thing that connects us to each other, no matter what. So welcome to the table. Hey there, welcome to episode seven. I've got both of the producer folk on here today. Say hi, guys. Hey, hi, hello. Hi. Um, Dan and Maureen, in case you haven't been listening, and why not? Um, So today, I thought it might be fun to talk about breakfast, because who doesn't love breakfast, right? And this came from, uh, I was sitting around, being lazy, watching the YouTubes, like you do, and I came across this, um, I don't wanna call it a documentary, but it was a uh, three part series by a culinary historian in England who was talking about the various meals of the day. And she was going all the way back to the beginning. And I find that stuff fascinating. So of course I watched it. And you said
1: it was BBC produced, right? It was
0: BBC produced. Actually, I can tell you the name of it. Uh, it was, a—I a, guess it was like a docu-series called breakfast lunch and dinner with clarissa dixon wright that's some bbc shit right it is some bbc Mm -hmm. shit she has another show apparently the name of which escapes me but uh, she's you know a culinary Mm -hmm. historian type lady and um so it was a whole hour-long episode on breakfast and i was like this is awesome and i want to talk about breakfast and i want to eat breakfast but let's talk about breakfast and then I'll go home and eat breakfast. Um, anyway, so I'm going to start with, you know, like I do, some nerdiness. Hell yeah. I'm going to dig into some history, right? Oh. Um, so, interestingly enough, we have the Catholic Church to thank for breakfast. Really? Yes. So, we're going way back, like, way, way back, like, like Middle Ages and before, right? The Catholic Church was the primary ruling power in Europe. So that meant that the church's rules were your rules. Those were the rules that governed your everyday life, not just on Sunday, not just suggestions. These were laws, essentially. And the rule was that you were not allowed to eat a morsel of food when you woke up in the morning until after morning mass because you had morning mass every single day. So, yeah. that meant you were fasting, essentially, from the time you had dinner until after Mass, which meant after Mass was when you could break your fast. Mm. And that is where breakfast comes from.
2: I know that today, like, I know that, like, especially, like, during Lent, because mm-hmm. I, was, I was raised Catholic and then did a lot of work in the Catholic Church in Milwaukee after graduation, mm-hmm. Um I know that during Lent, when you go to church, you're not supposed to eat breakfast until you take communion. Yeah. And taking mm-hmm. communion is when you, is when you
0: break, your, break fast. your fast. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so it came, the idea came out of that, but I don't know that the term breakfast caught on right away. Like at that time, I think that sort of evolved over time as, as language does. It started with, this is, this is the meal that we use to break our fast. Mm -hmm. And then it evolved over time into the word breakfast. Um, What we associate with breakfast food, at least in this country and in, you know, Western society is often like the iconic breakfast plate is what it's bacon and eggs. Mm Yeah. Right. And toast, maybe orange juice. Um, So the idea of bacon and eggs also stems from the catholic church so that comes about from lent as you're you're talking about lent right? right so during lent you weren't supposed to eat not just meat but any dairy or eggs or any of that so no milk no cheese no butter no eggs no meat now most small villages if you lived in a village you lived on somebody else's property you know you were it was a feudal system right wait we're still talking way back in the day right middle ages and before um so most families had animals of their own of some kind they had some pigs they probably had some chickens maybe they had a horse depending um those animals were often gave you other things or were being raised most of the year for slaughter. So example, if you have a pig or you have a couple of pigs, you want to make sure that pig has babies before you make bacon out of that pig, right? So you're going to keep that pig for a while to get as many more pigs out of her as you can before you. So not a lot of meat was eaten, but when it was, the entire pig was slaughtered and then cured because no refrigeration. Right. So, what is cured pork? Well, bacon is cured pork, essentially. Right. Right. So, we're talking about Lent. We're talking about you can't have meat and you can't have eggs. Everybody also had chickens and eggs were cheap. Historically, eggs mm-hmm. have always been an easy, cheap protein Makes source. Sense. Right. Well, you get to what we call Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras. Right. You, all of that stuff has got to go. You can't have that stuff because it's going to, you, you can't eat it and it's going to go bad. Right. So basically, the idea of eating up all of your bits that are left over of those things that you can't have are what you're going to eat for that breakfast on Mardi Gras. So your eggs, your leftover eggs, your leftover bits of cured pork, a.k.a. bacon, whatever cheese, whatever you have on hand, all of that stuff has to be eaten up. So it's not just about eating pastries, right? Like we're thinking, think about like families who live on some grand lord's land and they work solely for that person yeah they might have a couple pigs of their own and a little bit of land of their own but they're like you know that's it that's all you got right is what you can grow and what you have on hand and the church tells you this is this is what you cannot eat and apparently back then it wasn't just lent there were at least half of the calendar year where you couldn't eat animal products animal products
2: are there like a bunch of
0: like medieval um like vegan recipes then? I think that there are. And that was something that was really fascinating about this um this particular docu series is that You know, she goes to a specialist in medieval cuisine. And the specialist is actually recreating dishes that maybe they would have had this during Lent or they would have had this before Lent or whatever. And what was interesting to me is that people think of the Middle Ages and you think of, like, dark, dirty, you know, gross. Like, nobody's thinking about bright, green, fresh vegetables. And that's what they ate because you ate what you could grow. Right. So she made this beautiful... They called it pottage because anything that was cooked in a pot was called pottage. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially a stew or soup. And it like was a baked dish. Yeah, but it was all
1: No, I'm sorry. I didn't yeah, no, it's like, it's like the it's concept like of calling anything a baked a dish. A
0: baked dish, yeah, or hot dish or whatever right, right. those people call it up in Minnesota's those people. Those people. <laughs> um so she made this this stew essentially that was pretty much all vegetables. And it was gorgeous. And then she was like, you're going to go out to your garden. You're going to grab whatever's there. And the reason you don't find the recipes of these vegetable dishes is because you literally, it was whatever was growing. Right. Mm-hmm. And you grab it and you cook it. And it's not, the the knowledge of cooking was already there so that they didn't feel the need to write it down.
2: Interesting. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, the idea of the eggs and the bacon comes from using up all of your cured pork and your eggs that you have left before Mardi Gras hits or before Lent hits. I mean, and you can't have it for that whole time. Wow. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting, right? But yes. I mean, it, it sort of evolves out of that. Um, when you think about things like what you're going to drink, we think about coffee, we think about uh, orange juice. The orange juice thing, I did not come across a lot of information on that, but I have read in the past that that stemmed more from uh, 1950s era 1950s 60s and had a lot to do with the orange industry actually and it, it actually
2: it, it was i we ac- they talk about this on mad men actually oh how uh, it, yeah 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 it, it um basically advertising created orange juice for breakfast yeah, for breakfast yeah because it wasn't really a
0: thing before that and you don't yeah, see we've
1: been it re-watching mad men
0: like any any of i've in a few minutes, we're going to go through some sample menus in some of my auntie cookbooks, and none of them mention orange juice. So Isn't that strange? It's it, we see it as such an iconic thing now, right? And the entire industry is built on the fact that you drink orange juice for breakfast. You just do.
2: Mm-hmm. I want orange juice now. <laughs> I never want orange juice. It's
1: actually really. I have a hard time with orange juice now, just because I drank so much of it But I think I ruined my esophagus. So now I oh immediately no. Get
0: well, I think acid it's, reflux. I mean, think about how interesting it is that what do you start your day with? You started with a glass of orange juice and a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, you're starting your day with the most acidic things your- that you could
1: just, like... <laughs> just, like, wreck your shit right? Just, like...
0: And most people these days, you know, as we get busier and busier and our days get longer and longer, what goes first? Your food that you eat for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Most people just have coffee. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. people have orange juice and coffee and no food, right? So you're just, like, ingesting bucketfuls of acid, and that's going to carry you till lunch. <laughs> like-
1: that's... I mean, but that's that can't the, be great, like, right? We've been eating acidic foods for a while. though, like kraut and stuff like that is not. I've been right, so right. Much but there's
0: usually like some I'm kind totally of balance. Asleep, like yeah. you don't eat kraut by the spoonful by itself, right? Right. It's usually with something else to balance it out. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So the orange juice thing is later, but coffee and tea. Um, surprisingly enough, those didn't actually appear at all until like this mid 1600s.
1: So Well, that makes sense because it was, like, imported, wasn't it? Right,
0: exactly. Now, tea, at least in in, uh, Europe and England, tea took on more popularity than coffee did right away. Um, But both had to be imported. And both were seen at first as, like, drinks for the aristocracy. And then tea started to become more available for lower and lower classes Mm. and then believe it or not there was a campaign that tea was bad for you in the 1700s in england it was like because the aristocracy did not want to be seen drinking the same thing as the lower classes so if the lower classes are going to drink tea then we don't want to anymore it was that kind of thing Uh, i know it's it's so it's so uh, bizarre but i think it's funny that like When you think about breakfast food, you just assume it's always been this way. Well, the 1600s, maybe 1700s, when coffee started to be a more regular thing, that's not that long. You know what I mean? It's not like yesterday, but it's not five, six hundred years ago. Right. You know? So what did they drink before that? Alcohol. Because it had to do with the water quality, right? Yeah, nobody drank fresh, like, there wasn't water, unless you lived in front of a stream, like... There just wasn't water. Why, especially if you lived in a city, if you're, like, living in London, or you've just arrived to this new world, right, and you don't know where anything is, and you're living in the wilderness, like, water's not a thing that you drink. So you wake up in the morning, and you're either gonna drink beer, or wine, Or cider. In the U.S. it was cider because apples could grow everywhere. Right. So people, everyone made their own cider. Every family had their own, like, little cider press thing and and fermented their own cider. And that is what you drank with every meal. Until coffee and tea took over. That's wild. Can you imagine that? Like, starting your day with a pint? No. (laughs) I don't know how you'd get anything done. (laughs) I, I do know that, so, for example, at least the beer the alcohol content was a lot lower. Yeah. These were really weak beers that they were consuming all the time. So it was kind of
1: more like, like what you would like drink before you probably farmed a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, like farming. It's hard. That's, I mean, it's hard labor, but it's also not like dexterous labor. Right. You know, I guess
2: that. Yeah. Well, cause I, and actually there's kind of a tradition for that in Germany. Um, in, um, oh crap. What town? there's a town in germany where they drink no it's (laughs) the quaint little town of berlin uh cologne oh In the town of cologne they they drink kölsch all day and they drink these little like six ounce pours of kölsch and it's like basically bud light huh which if any german hears me say that they would punch me in the face but i mean like it's it's like it's basically sparkling water. Right. Right. Really the low very alcohol. Very low col- alcohol content. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And um so I mean there there is like a precedent for just kind of like drinking a lot
0: of beer throughout the day and right. not really impacting you. Right. And and if you're used to it <laughs> right, yeah. You know, right. And you've been drinking it since you were a small child, like right. and
1: water isn't available. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's that's what you drink. That's fascinating. Yeah. So side note on that. The weak beer idea that went all the way through uh, the late 1800s, even though coffee and tea became a thing for breakfast, like beer was still being drunk by working men throughout the day. And then um, the teetotaling movement, this is way before prohibition. It actually started in the 1890s because that was suddenly when whiskey became available and men were basically replacing this weak beer with whiskey. So they were getting wasted a lot faster and then making poor decisions. And so wives were like, whoa, whoa. Suddenly my husband is drunk all the time. He's either not working or he's, you know, being lazy or he's beating me or whatever. So it became a movement off of that because the weak beer became less in favor for this whiskey that was really easy to get a hold of.
3: Wow. is that crazy? Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the teetotaling movement happened first and then it sort of fell off a little bit and then it came back and prohibition happened. Which there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of other political things that happen behind prohibition besides just like that the teetotaling movement. But like it started way earlier than ever everybody thinks. Mm-hmm. And it started because whiskey became available, like to everyone. Wow. For uh, inexpensively. Huh. Right. Anyway, but I digress. That's fascinating. So what else do we think of on the breakfast table? We think about a lot of people think about cereal, right? Cereal is pretty mm-hmm. standard. Yeah. And most I don't personally eat cereal, but
1: I never eat cereal for breakfast. A
0: lot of people eat cereal for breakfast. It's a very common standard thing that also came about from a religious group. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, we all know Kellogg's cornflakes. Right? just thinking of that. Yeah, so this, Kellogg was not the first cereal available, but it was the first one to be mass-produced and to be so mm-hmm. popular, right? So, and it came, you know, in time for the Industrial Revolution, so it could be mass-produced. Right. But what's interesting is that, so it was the two Kellogg brothers, and they were Seventh-day Adventists who are vegetarians because they believe that I don't know the scripture that they take this from, but they believe that the food of God is grains and vegetables and that you shouldn't eat animal products. Well, you shouldn't eat meat. So vegetarians and these two brothers truly believed that they could save people, they could save America if they could create a breakfast food that was grain-based instead of animal-based. So they started with wheat, actually, with um, grains of wheat that they would... They would cook and then they would or no, first they chopped it and then they would cook it and then they would chop it some more and then they would steam it and then they would roll it. And it was this whole process and a long time to figure out how to get the right flake. Yeah. Right. I don't know where corn came into the mix, but the first the first thing was wheat. And they the one Kellogg brother actually used it to um, he tested it out on patients in a sanatorium in Michigan which is where Kellogg is based, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Interestingly enough, the results of whether or not that, like, changed these patients at all, it's not been... Like, there's nothing about that anywhere. Yeah. You know, like, oh, they were suddenly better, or, oh, they were suddenly... Like, nothing like that. (laughs) that, What immediately popped into my head was...
2: um, uh was cuckoo for cocoa puffs like what <laughs> if uh like if cereal Whoa. brands then made a then made a habit of testing product testing in sanatoriums and sanatoriums and then it's like man cocoa puffs they really went really went wild they for it. really went cuckoo for, oh my <laughs> they god really that's hilarious
0: cocoa Um, well, so the one brother wanted to keep it, like, he wanted to keep producing it because he thought it was doing the patients good, but Mm -hmm. he only wanted to produce it for the patients. So that was his goal, like, create this thing, feed it to these people, because that's going to save them, was his thought, right? The other brother was, like, one, so the story goes, one day the one brother was, like, out of town or whatever, not around, and so the other brother decided what would happen if we added some molasses to this corn version so basically he he sweetened it right so the one that they were feeding the patients had no sweetener in it the corn flakes that we're used to they're sweetened they're not it's not a lot of sugar but they're sweetened right This no sweetener it was just plain unadulterated flattened flakes of grain right right so he was like wonder what would happen so he added some molasses and he fed that to the patients and they went nuts for it of course they want to eat more because it's sweet right so he tells his brother he's like we should totally sell this like we should mass produce this and sell it to the public and he was like no 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 this is you know our our call from god is to treat these people you know who need this and and that's what it's for so they ended up having a falling out and the younger brother will who wanted to sell it ended up doing just that and he started the the cereal company. Wow. And it went on from there. In 1905, the Kellogg Cereal Company was established so that he could sell sweetened cereals to the masses. Huh. And now it's it's become a thing. It's like everybody eats well, not everybody, but, you know, people eat cereal for breakfast. It's it's mm-hmm. a normal part of that iconic breakfast table. And even when some you people go... people eat
1: cereal at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. Some
0: people eat cereal for midnight snack.
1: A little snacky. You know? you know? gotta get it in.
0: Sometimes you you just do. So that all came from the idea of trying to treat patients Interesting. in a sanatorium. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Huh. So, yeah. So the, those are the basic... Um, foods of the iconic breakfast plate i guess at least in this country well you
1: know what one not to like completely steal any thunder but the one that we were just talking about over the, over the course of the week was quaker oats mm-hmm. oh where yeah you were telling me about the, that
2: yeah so i was watching this video i was watching a youtube video of this quaker she's a quaker youtuber and she was she oh, was talking sure. about kind of the tenets of quakerism mm-hmm. And she kept like throughout the episode or whatever the video, she kept being like, you know, not like those, not like those, um, the you know people who take the name of Quaker and put it on their business and blah 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 blah. And she kept oh. referencing it, and then at the end, she was like, "By the way, this is the story behind Quaker Oats." So apparently, so Quakers, yeah, the religion, right, are. Known for being very ethical business yes. people, yes, people like doing business with Quaker businesses because they know that they're reliable and ethical and right. Um, they're so when Quaker Oats the people who you know started Quaker Oats, were getting going, they were like, "Hey, Quaker businesses do really well, but man, are their ethics a total bummer." So why don't we just call our company Quaker Oats so that people think we're Quaker,
0: but, but we're, we're not
2: Quaker. Whoa. So we can just kind of do whatever we want, but get the name recognition that gets people in the door. That's crazy. Yeah. So Quakers, I, Quakers hate Quakers.
1: I immediately was like, some Quaker oat maker needs to start a company that's like actual Quakers Oats. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The real Practicing deal. Seeing Quakers
1: <laughs> making oats,
0: you know. Oh my gosh, Isn't that's that so wild? crazy! Yeah. I had no idea. It's a it's a mad, 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 mad world out there. It really is, mm-hmm. and that segues really well into these sort of. Um, I have brought some cookbooks of mine. Ooh, I Amish
1: have, friends' cookbooks. This they is are one following them. us. We just got back from Pennsylvania.
0: I oh, saw, the Amish are following. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I have a whole for those of you who have not heard me say this before, and again, where have you been? Um I have a whole collection of antique cookbooks. I have facsimiles of most of the what I would say the tried and true texts that culinary historians refer to when mm-hmm. trying to figure out what it is that people ate at different points in time. So I looked through all of, most of the historic ones looking for breakfast specific foods, right? Some of them have, like the ones I brought today, have what they call bill of fare ideas or menu ideas that have lists of what people would serve for breakfast. A lot of them, some of the older cookbooks didn't have anything like that. And I think it's it was still because it just happened to be the first meal of the day. So it wasn't necessarily like, a specific kind of food, up until probably at least from the cookbooks that I have, what I have gathered is that up until at least the middle of the eighteen hundreds, there's not a separate category for breakfast food. Mm. If that makes sense, there's just it's eat, just food that eat you what, eat.
2: Eat whatever you have.
0: Eat what you have. Most likely whatever's left over from dinner the night before, so it doesn't go bad. Right. Right. So whatever cold meat you have left and anything else, and you wash it down with a beer and good to go. Um, but these books were ones that actually had some reference to breakfast foods. This first one I have, um, it's called Buckeye Cookery, but it is a facsimile of um uh, compiled recipes that were put together in 1877. Um I got this from the Greenfield Village store in michigan because i love that place and i go every year um but buckeye cookery and practical housekeeping that's the other thing these old cookbooks have this whole these whole sections on like what to do if what to do if your iron burns a shirt what to do if if there's soot from your candles on the wall Mm. what to do if like you know random shit like that. oh we could use that (laughs) i'll
2: loan it to you we've got some soot on our walls from candles (laughs) from candles Mm yeah i'll loan it to you
0: Um, so in the back of this book, there is a, they've broken down their bills of fare, they call them, into seasons, which I find really interesting. That is, I mean, it makes sense, though, because certain things just aren't available. Right. And now these books were written as guides for either the woman of the house or her housekeeper. Mm -hmm. So it depends on which... You know, which level of class you are, Mm -hmm. um, who's reading this. Um, But just to give you an idea of some of the some of the ideas. So in the spring. Let's go with a Sunday breakfast because they give you Sunday, but then they give you like three other options for other days. Right. Sunday is special, apparently. But on Sunday for breakfast, you might serve a fried brook trout, a broiled ham, eggs on toast, baked beans and Boston brown bread. With rice waffles, tea, coffee, and chocolate. Hot chocolate was a big breakfast thing, too.
1: I'm finding that in a
0: lot of these books. Um, Maybe it was more affordable. Maybe they didn't love the caffeine rush. Right. You know, whatever the reasoning hot chocolate was an offering.
2: Well, it's hearty.
0: It is. It is, definitely. So maybe it just, I don't know. It depends on... What you prefer.
2: Rice waffles is interesting to me.
0: Yeah. And I now I did not go back and look up the individual recipes because that would have taken me all night to do. Um, But my understanding of that is there's another recipe in one of these books for rice muffins. So you take dried rice, but you grind it up really fine and use it like a flour. But it's also got regular flour in it. Oh, so it just gives you a a little bit of a different texture.
2: Gotcha. Does it make it like crispier?
0: I don't know. I've not actually made them. <laughs> That's a good question.
2: Because I know that like in like when you are making like a dredge for frying, mm-hmm. if you add in rice flour, it's to make it's it Crispy. Oh. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious, though, if it has to do with what grains do we have and what do we need to use? And what can we cut this flour with? Exactly. Exactly. So that we're not just eating the same flour at it. Because, you know, bread was every meal. Yeah. So you don't necessarily eat the same bread product at every meal. Yeah. Or maybe you don't. I mean, for variety's sake, you throw in some other grains at some point. Yeah. Um, so that was, but that was a spring breakfast for Sunday. Now, if you're looking at, let's say... A summertime breakfast. And we'll go ahead and look at Sunday again. It also has fried fish. Nutmeg melons, which I'm assuming is just melon with nutmeg on it. Huh. That would make sense, right? I
1: mean, yes. But also, like...
2: I put nutmeg on everything, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd have to try it, I guess.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, nutmeg was a very popular spice. Yeah. So it... And they The use, further back you go, the more they use it. They use the crap out of nutmeg. They use
2: like the whole thing. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. mace is another spice, and that was like It's it's the, the
0: outer layer of the nut.
1: Got it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so they would use mace and nutmeg. Yep. They use the shit out of
0: nutmeg. Oh yeah. They really liked nutmeg. Um so it makes sense. You can put that on maybe some honeydew or something. I don't know. Um they also would eat with this meal saratoga potatoes which are also basically like they're like potato chips okay saratoga potatoes i don't i don't remember why they call them that but basically what happened is um a cook accidentally dropped some potatoes into hot fat that was like a large enough quantity and fried it instead of just a pan fry or a saute sure and the potato chip was born when they were called saratoga potatoes for a long time i'm not sure why um was it in saratoga it might have been That would make sense. Um, Then uh, sliced tomatoes and Minnesota rolls. I don't know what a Minnesota roll is, but and coffee or chocolate. So that's summer. They ate a lot of fish at breakfast. I'm not mad at that, low key. (laughs) I mean, I don't think that people do enough of that. Honestly, I think that we've gotten away, at least in the Midwest. Yeah, we've gotten away
1: from fish in general. Which is, um, I mean,
2: but although, I mean, people will eat like lox. Well, at do breakfast. you know, True.
1: Especially as a person that knows like local, what is indi- indigenous, like native to the, what am I saying? Right. What Food. you can get here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, fish. What kind of fish is in Lake Michigan? Whitefish. And I feel like I never see that.
0: I think at one point there might have been some kind of lake trout as well. I'm not sure if that's still a thing.
1: Yeah. Um, you can also mm-hmm. get,
0: like, there's like walleye, mm-hmm. there's
2: perch.
1: I, because, you know, in all of my time in bluegill, the Midwest, I'm now I'm just think, thinking trying of to think. What you can like, get I think at of fish like fry. on the East Coast, right? Like, if you're on the coast, there is a fisherman's, like, you, a lot, there are a lot of just places that you go in, and it's like a hut. Yeah, like mm-hmm. there are people there like people the fresh catches are all there. Right. There are a lot of fish restaurants, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It that is always a thing that's kind of thrown me off about the Midwest is that there's this giant body of water that there is apparently fish in.
2: If you go up to like northern like northern Great Lakes, mm-hmm. like when you get into like the boundary waters and mm-hmm. then like Lake Superior, that area, yeah. you you find a lot more of that just because those lakes
0: aren't overfished Mm -hmm. right right lake michigan is pretty overfished i mean and we would have to do a specific study on this area dating well before it became a big city you know to know for sure if that was a i'm i'm almost positive that i can say That fish was probably a staple part of the diet of whoever lived here Mm -hmm. before Chicago became a big city, you know, and before it turned into, like, the beef capital and before we started putting giant ships in that lake, you know.
1: We should just, like, drop a bunch of fish food into the lake. That seems fun to me. (laughs)
0: Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Have
2: at it, guys. Over well, the
1: other night, we were talking about this, and we were just talking about salt water conceptually. Uh huh. And I would be pro them dumping just. a He ton. wants to
2: salinate
0: Lake Lake Michigan. Michigan.
1: Yeah, just think about the beach. Just think about the beach. I don't mean, think about the ecosystem it would damage. <laughs> just don't think about all the. Just the, don't think
0: about all the freshwater things. Yeah. That need all the, the biological water. life. That yeah. We
1: just yeah. Need just think about. The we beach. just need one salt Great Lake. And it should be. There
0: is should, a Salt yeah. Great Lake. Which one? Salt Lake. Oh, in Utah? Yeah.
1: No, I, I don't really count that as a Great Lake.
0: He means, like, in the Midwest. yeah. Oh, like yeah. the Great Lakes. Like one of the actual Great Lakes.
1: Like the five, you know? The five. Yeah. The five families.
2: <laughs> Daniel Johansson, <laughs> colon, worst vegan. <laughs> anyway. Anyway.
0: All right. So that was some interesting... Um, from this book in 1877 bills affair there's a few other things in here um oatmeal is mentioned a lot for breakfast oh yeah um cracked wheat broiled chicken ooh ooh uh, that's
1: not a, that's not a good that's a that's a weird thing
0: bro- broiled oh, broiled. Oh, broiled
1: i thought it was bro- i was thinking no broiled,
0: broiled prairie chicken specifically I don't know what that means.
2: Broiling broiled chicken for some reason is a weird Midwest staple. Mm. I've I, there's been like a couple like broiled chicken restaurants mm. in like parts of like western Illinois that I've been to like out near my grandma's house. Like I okay. remember I remember broiled chicken being a broiled thing. Broiled
0: chicken is a thing.
2: And it not being very good.
0: <laughs>
2: but it being a thing.
0: I mean, maybe if it was a chicken that you raised yourself and, you know. Honestly, I, mean, maybe. I bet that would
2: impact it.
0: Probably. <laughs> um, and then they do have a list in here of economical breakfasts. Ooh. Uh, the first idea... Would be ham and eggs, hash, baked potatoes, hominy, graham gems, which comes up a lot. I'm assuming that it's some kind of little pastry made out of graham flour, mm. um, and coffee. The I'm not mad at that second economical breakfast idea is a breakfast stew or a fish, fried graham mush. Ew. So, <laughs> yeah, so mush, fried mush basically meant that you would take a grain and you would cook it. So think like polenta. Oh, okay. So you cook a polenta, but you don't leave it creamy. You cook it so that it, it solidifies mm-hmm. and then you slice it and then you fry it.
2: Well, I don't understand in the English language the appeal of the word mush mush when it comes to food. Because in England and Ireland, in in. The British Isles, mm. they they eat mushy peas, and that's what it says on the damn menu. I know mm. you can buy, you can just get. Mu- and I remember the first time I went to Ireland with my mom when I was in like fifth grade. It was for someone's baptism, um, but we went there, and they were going to a chipper to get fish mm-hmm. to get dinner, right? And my, one of my cousins asked me if I wanted mushy peas and I was like, ew, what? Why would I want that? Are you going to get peas and mush them? And she's like, no, it's on the menu. And I was like, ew. Yeah.
0: No. I don't know.
2: I, I don't know. And she ate, she like rev, she was like, oh, I love mushy. She like ate the living hell out of those mushy peas. And I was
0: like, oh, I don't get it. I never understood Call that it either. mashed peas or something. Why mushy? Smashed would be great.
2: Smashed peas. I smashed, would eat smashed I would eat peas. Smashed
0: peas. I'm not going to eat mushy peas. Mushy
2: peas is a nightmare.
0: Yeah. So, but this breakfast came also with uh, sliced tomatoes, potatoes, applesauce, cornbread, or toast. Mm. Yum. So if you're noticing a trend, these are big meals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this particular one had either a stew or fish. It's got the mush, which is, you know, sliced, whatever, fried. Yeah. Yeah. Plus some sliced tomatoes, plus some potatoes, plus some applesauce, plus a bread of some kind. Yeah, that's one meal. Yeah, it's a lot, right? Yeah. So I did one thing that she did say on that um, docu series that I was watching the other day is that at least when you get to, so this is eighteen seventy seven, and this is this is an American book. So this was, um, these are foods that were found here, right? It's some of my books are older and and they're very British, but. She did say that when you got to, in the Victorian era, the middle, you know, the middle class started taking hold. These are people that had some money that weren't on somebody else's land. They maybe owned their own home and they were aspiring to be seen as wealthier. Sure. Right. So these, you might have a whole table full of things that were on offer. That doesn't mean that you eat all of them. That makes sense. Right? So. Because isn't
2: that a big thing at lunch
0: or luncheon? Yeah. That you would like put out. You put out a big spread and then people take bits of what they want. That doesn't mean that they're eating all of. Right. All of it. So, I and I'm not sure how that works if you're just, a f- if it's only when you're hosting people and you've got people staying at your house or if that's how it was for families as well. Because that seems like a lot of waste. Obviously, they didn't throw it away because Victorian housewives were not about that life. They were very, very not wasteful people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But it seems like a lot of extra food to, like, try to figure out what to do with later, you know? So, I'm not sure if that's how it worked for everybody or if that was just strictly a, oh, we have guests. Let's put out everything we have.
2: Mm -hmm. That, yeah, because I'm trying to think. Because I think that in, like, wealthier homes, like, could it, like... You know,
0: if there's leftovers, wouldn't it go down to the servants? Yeah, definitely. But if you're thinking, like, middle class Victorian era. There wouldn't be. there. You might have a servant. Yeah. Maybe two, depending on which spectrum of the, or which end of the middle class spectrum you were on. Um, but a lot of people had one servant that was a maid of all work. So that was somebody that cleaned your house and cooked all your food. And did your wash. Like, she did all of it one person. Right. So, yeah, whatever's left might go to her, but I'm not sure. I guess it just depends on your status. Yeah. Um so then I have this other book that's from a little bit later. This is um it's called What Mrs Fisher Knows About Old Southern Cooking. This was the this is a facsimile of the first African American cookbook. Okay, cool. And it's from 1881. And it doesn't necessarily have a breakfast section, but the first section is breads, and they are labeled breakfast breads in the contents. So this is things like Maryland beet biscuits. Huh. I'm guessing these are... What
2: year is this from?
0: 1881. So it's, okay, so
2: it's post-slavery. Yes. Yes
0: yes cool yeah interesting um breakfast cream cake that sounds delicious uh waffles flannel cake i'm what i'm just trying to peruse this really quick to see if i can see figure out what it is exactly
2: is it like two different colors?
0: No, it's just like a kind of griddle cake. It's kind of like a pancake. Oh. So it must just be like another word for pancake. Yeah. But it's it's a it's cooked on a griddle, made with flour. Yeah. Um, but it's a yeasted one. Ooh. Oh.
3: Um.
0: Oh, man. Breakfast cornbread, plantation cornbread or hoe cakes. Sally Lund bread. Oh, and that's it. But these are, and these are all just breads, but they, in in the table of contents, she writes them under as breakfast breads. So I don't know what that tells us. Maybe that's just the first thing you would get up and bake in the morning is bread for breakfast. So it may be one of these things, and then you serve it with whatever else you have on hand, whatever cold meats you have and whatnot. Um, So that's that. That's 1881. Oops, as I'm dropping things here. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Uh, The next one, I love this cookbook. This is the, it's basically like a textbook from the Boston Cooking School, written by Fanny Farmer. So Fanny Farmer had, she was the headmistress of the Boston Cooking School. And this was at the end of the 1800s. So I want to say like 1890s. Gotcha. This book doesn't actually have a copyright in it. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So I have no idea when this particular, whether it was an actual textbook that was used, whether yeah. it's a facsimile. For listeners at
1: home, just like visually, this book of, of the ones that you have is the most kind of like worn, like it looks like it came from a library. Yeah. Least.
0: It's it's very tattered. It's, uh, it, there's splatters and splashes on the front and stains. Um. In the back, there are. Oh my God. Handwritten mm-hmm. things from people who. Like, there's a blackberry pie recipe written in here. Well,
1: that's the thing that's fascinating about old cooking books is that you know that they were near the kitchen, you know? Oh, yeah.
0: These were, I mean, this this is stained through and through. Mm-hmm. The cover is stained. The pages are stained. It's amazing. It's still intact. Um, there's even a recipe back here for furniture polish that somebody hand wrote in. The bindings, like, falling off.
2: A page just a page fell out. A page just mm-hmm. fell out. You know,
0: it's... <laughs> I found this for $2 at a, at a secondhand store. And I was like, oh my God, this looks great. But it doesn't have a copyright. So I have guessed at the dates based on when I know that Fanny Farmer's school was in its height. And the advertisements in the back are very, you know, 1890s. There are
2: advertisements in the back? There
0: are advertisements in the back for things like... Vanilla Extract and Baking Powder and um, Walter Baker and Company's Cocoa and Chocolate from Dorchester, Massachusetts. Um, Yeah. And then there's a whole another little article in the back on Food and Cookery for the Sick and Convalescent written by Fanny Farmer herself. Wow. So this book is cool because it was written as somewhat of a textbook. The beginning of the book goes into like... Their idea, I'm going to say their idea because it wasn't completely fleshed out mm. of nutrition. So what they thought, you know, nutritious food was. Um, and then in the back, it has suitable combinations for serving. So it's got menu ideas. And this is definitely, you can look at it, There's a few photographs. Um, this was meant for upper middle class. A housekeeper would set out these foods and then you know, the people would eat what they want kind of thing. So it's a little bit, slightly higher end. Um, but what's interesting is looking through all of these menu ideas for breakfast, every single one has some kind of protein, meaning boiled ham, scrambled eggs, steak, warmed over leftover lamb, um, omelet, broiled halibut, dried smoked beef and cream which does not sound great to me, but was a thing. Um, Bacon and eggs, corned beef hash. So one of those happens in every one of these menu suggestions. Um, There's a fruit, some kind of fresh fruit in every single menu suggestion, whether it's oranges or grapes or bananas or grapefruit or whatever. Um, Every single one has some kind of potato. Baked potatoes, creamed potatoes, sautéed potatoes... French fried potatoes, lyonnaise potatoes. There's a potato in every menu. Um, They all have coffee. They all have a cereal of some kind. Oh. Right? So this is definitely like, we're talking like 18, probably 95-ish, somewhere in there. Um, So oatmeal with sugar and cream or Quaker rolled oats with baked apples. (sighs) um wheat germ with sugar and cream something called old grist mill oh i think old grist mill was a brand and so cuz they name it a couple times but it's with different grains mm. so like this one is rolled oats shredded wheat biscuits hominy with sugar and cream there's some kind of cereal at each one and then there's also some kind of other carb so you've got your cereal and you've got your potatoes you've got your protein and you've got your fruit, and then you've got some kind of bread product. So popovers, those gram gems pop up again. Good old graham gems. Um, muffins. Graham mush. There's not.
2: Damn it. There's a lot
0: of muffins, biscuits, and different kind of muffins. So like. Graham mush got lost to graham, time. Graham mush got lost. I guess people were uh, a little probably as grossed out by it as we were. Um, But there's rye muffins, there's rice muffins, there's twin mountain muffins, I don't know what those are, Um, berry muffins, but then there's also things like um, dropped eggs on toast, milk toast, which is literally just toast soaked in milk, warm milk, (laughs) white corn cakes, brown bread, buttered graham toast, there you go. There you go. There you go. There There it is. It's back even oh no that's a luncheon menu I was gonna be like even sponge cake no we've gone into lunch there so yeah so according to fanny farmer you gotta have a protein mm-hmm. you gotta have a potato you gotta have a fruit you gotta have a cereal and you gotta have a bread
2: and this is so that people can mix and match so that you yes. could go in there conceivably you could go in there and be like i'm not gonna eat any meat today
0: i'm correct. just gonna eat fruit and bread correct or you could just, you know, eat your half a grapefruit and maybe a piece of toast. Yeah. But these these are the how they would be served. So she called these suitable combinations for serving, meaning that what she has listed in one breakfast idea would all be put out on one table because they could go together. If Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um but it's still a lot of food. That is a lot of food. It's a lot of food. And something that was mentioned in this documentary that I watched was that she said, you know, people used to take a full hour for breakfast and a full hour for lunch. Like, your workplace would give you a full hour for lunch, where you could sit down and have a proper lunch. In the morning, you would get up and you would sit down with your family and have a proper breakfast. A full breakfast, as the British call it, right? Right. We don't do that anymore. No, no. Like I said, people, a lot of people just have coffee for breakfast. Or they'll eat lunch at their desks. Exactly. Neither one of those things is a good thing. No. In my opinion. Um, and it seems to us like, oh my God, they ate so much food. But like, they probably were moving a lot more than we are.
2: and but then they probably had like
0: tea and biscuits for dinner.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well... That was something else I noticed, and this can be, like, for a future lunch, if we decide to do a lunch podcast, um, is that... It. I love lunch. Before...
1: <laughs> I just love food.
0: Uh, right? Let's just, I mean... let's have, let, Hey, let's start a food podcast. Let's talk about food. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was a point where lunch wasn't a word that was used, and so it used to be that you would eat your midday meal a lot earlier than we think of, like at 10, and it could last a lot longer depending on your rank in society, right? So if you were nobility, you're having midday meal from like 10 a.m. to 2. Oh, my God. And you're eating like a full-on feast, right? So then your later meal, and that was usually called dinner. The midday meal was called dinner. Yeah. So then later... In the day, like four or five o'clock, you were just eating a light, very light something, and that was called supper. Ooh.
2: Well, and I think metabolically, like you're supposed to eat more and earlier in the day. Yeah, they do say that that you should. What is it? Eat breakfast like a king, lunch, lunch
1: like a. What is I thought that? it's. I, can't I thought more. it was
2: breakfast like a prince, lunch like a king,
0: dinner supper like a like peasant. a peasant, like a, a pauper present. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, if you think about the fact that when you go to a hotel, you're usually on vacation or whatnot, right? You've got more time. You go to the breakfast area, even if it's continental breakfast. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And you can have a little bit of all of it if you want. Right. So you make yourself a waffle in that turny waffle thing. And you get yourself some Mm -hmm. peanut butter or whatever to put on it and you get some orange juice and you get some coffee and you get some cereal and you get a muffin and you get some fresh fruit and you sit down and some scrambled eggs and you sit down with all of this. That's like a treat for us, right? But that was how people ate every day. Keeping in mind that people were probably a lot more active than
2: They were like working in factories and like climbing up and down ladders all day.
0: But also the idea of taking care of yourself feeding yourself was more important than it is now in, yeah. in in my mind, right? So if you think back on like Cockney Housewives, for example, in the East End of London, not a lot of money coming in. They mm-hmm. did whatever they could to nourish their children and their husband as best as they could, which meant that they ate a lot of products made with flour and lard because that was cheap. That's what they had. They ate a lot of eggs because that was cheap. That's what they had. Right. And then you find and whatever vegetables are growing around or in your little garden and you eat that. And even then they had a proper breakfast and a proper lunch and a proper dinner. Like those are things that I feel like we've lost over time. But breakfast, especially breakfast just seems like. I don't know, it seems like like a like a chore that we don't want to do. Yeah. You know, because and I think it's because our work days have. Extended as much as they have.
2: Yeah, you I saw. Know? I saw an interesting, um, an interesting, tw- uh, Twitter conversation where someone was someone was saying like, I don't know, un- like I'm so exhausted by all the things that I'm societally like required to do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm supposed to have a full-time job and I'm supposed to go to the gym and I'm supposed to keep my house clean and I'm supposed to have uh, hobbies and I'm supposed to have a social life and I'm supposed to have a relationship and I'm supposed to, you know, treat my kids well. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed to be well-read and, you know, like h- how do people have time for this? And someone commented saying, um, the 40 hour work week was, was developed keeping in mind that typically husbands would do the 40-hour work week mm-hmm. and then their wives would stay at home and do everything else.
0: Yeah, yeah, essentially. And so, those
2: and that 40-hour work week was with the intention of being able to sustain a family of four, a family of 4.
0: Right. Now with with the industrial revolution you do have before, you know, the labor unions and how appropriate we're recording this on Labor Day. Labor Day. We're literally sitting and talking about this on Labor on Day. On Labor by the way. Day. Um it won't come out till much later, but it's Labor Day today, so yeah. happy Labor Day. Huzzah. Um it, there were and there are some stories about foods that were developed due to the longer work hours that some people would hold, especially in the lower classes of society. You know, you were working from the ass crack of dawn all the way up until late at night you know, because that's what you had to do. Right. If you, especially if you're in a factory and this is before the 40 hour work week and it's before the union rules and like they could take advantage of you as much as they wanted. So if you're in a factory and that factory can run from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., it's gonna, right? Right. So there are some foods that were actually developed around these ideas. For example, in England, the, the pasty was developed specifically so that miners could take their lunch down with them and they wouldn't have to come up from the mine and you could in get order your, to eat lunch. You could get your meat and veg. Right. And it would stay because they were big and the, the pastry that they would use back then was a lot thicker and coarser and oftentimes wasn't eaten. Um, but they would put a big, a big thick rope of it on the edge of the pasty. It was a braided rope of pastry so that the miners could hold it without getting the grime on their hands Mm -hmm. on the food that they were actually eating. So it was like a, like a built-in handle. Mm -hmm. So they didn't eat that. They just ate the inside.
2: Interesting. But it was
0: developed for that purpose, right? They, they needed something. They wanted to have a hot lunch. They couldn't come up from the mine and have time for a hot lunch as was desired. So, you know, their wives figured something out and sent them down to the mines with these hot pockets essentially of meat and veg. And then those miners Coming to the the U.S. in northern Michigan, a lot of them settled there. And now northern Michigan has its own style of pasty. Right. That evolved from that, which is a whole nother story. But it's fascinating to me that rituals change based on how the society changed. And mm-hmm. the society changed drastically during the Industrial Revolution. But even then, if you were not the lowest of the low class, you were sitting down to a proper breakfast at a table with your family. Right. Holy crap. Who does that?
2: I can't even imagine doing that. Right? I don't even I, I we we would do that sometimes when I was a kid, mm-hmm. like if my like if my dad was able to go in late for later for work or like but like the big the big family meal was always dinner. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which People don't do a lot of that now either. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's quickly being... Bring back
1: breakfast. Big breakfast.
0: I think we should bring back breakfast. You know, and it means, I think for a lot of us, it means, well, I got to get up earlier to do it. Mm -hmm. But it might be worth it. I mean,
2: maybe just start with weekends, you know? Yeah. Oh, I definitely... I cook myself
1: a breakfast. (laughs) Get a van.
2: (laughs) Quit your job. Get a van and have breakfast with your damn family. Have
1: breakfast with your family.
0: (laughs) In your van. Move
1: your family into a van.
0: (laughs) Oh my god! Well, then you want anything to cook breakfast on?
1: Oh, there are ways. <laughs> there are ways. Don't
0: get dang so, started on vans. So then I've got one cookbook left, and this is not a specific time period. This is a cookbook of Amish recipes. People lost in time. People lost in time. I now, think they
1: found them. They found time. I
0: think they know what time they're in. They the just choose stopped. to ignore it. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Which you know what more power to you if that's what you choose but this so this book was a compilation written uh put together in 2007 i think um but the woman that put it together is not amish herself but has many friends and went in and did research in amish and mennonite groups so it's it has an interesting history to it between Is, is the author from lancaster um you know what i don't know wanda brunstetter let's let's see if there's an author thing in the back
2: that'd be interesting because like the the no there's not amish oh wait the amish culture is like very much integrated into normal life in lancaster county
0: right right uh no she's from washington state
2: oh interesting
0: all right, cool. But she has friends in Amish settlements, apparently, throughout the United States. And it says at the beginning that she thanks a whole bunch of people who actually um, gave recipes to her. Oh, cool. Uh, So she's actually friends with Amish families and Mennonite families who willingly shared their recipes. Um, but it's interesting because this book, they break down, you know, the sections. All cookbooks are put in either into sections of types of food or they're put into like times you would eat those food foods it just depends um, this one is in sections so it's like you know breads breakfast foods desserts but in between each section she does a little blurb on like learning about Amish culture mm-hmm. and Mennonite culture which I think is cool but in the breakfast food section and keep in mind this was put together in 2007 so it's not that old mm-hmm. It has things like overnight caramel French toast.
2: Oh, what?
0: Yes, 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 please. <laughs> uh, Breakfast fried zucchini. Oh, yum.
1: Interesting.
0: Okay, so that looks kind of like you saute the zucchini, add milk, eggs, cracker crumbs.
1: Just like fried eggplant.
0: Kind of, but it's it's the zucchini shredded. Oh, so it's, oh. Like, so it's like a hash. Yeah. Oh my god. Because then, then it says you can add ground beef or bacon pieces if desired. Mm-hmm. Um, and <sighs> these uh, recipes are submitted, by the way, from people all over the country, um, but and they each have their name on them, which is kind of cool. So Cheers. this breakfast zucchini is from Pennsylvania, Mary Zimmerman. Uh, there's something called hidden eggs
2: where an Amish man hides in the pantry of your kitchen and then when you open the pantry he hits you in the Aha! <laughs> then he smacks the egg on your face. They're eggs and then he runs out.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it looks like kind of a casserole. So you put slices of bread on the bottom and you crack the eggs on top and then you break up some more bread and spread it on top. And then you drizzle it with butter and cheese and bake it.
2: Yeah, I mean, that sounds it's good.
0: Breakfast casserole. <laughs> Uh, farmer's breakfast, which looks like another hash. It's bacon, onion, potatoes, eggs, salt and pepper, cheddar cheese, and parsley. That's from Ohio. Baked oatmeal, which is exactly what it sounds like.
2: I used to eat baked oatmeal when I was a kid.
0: It was good. Oatmeal with eggs mixed in and then it's baked. Yep. And it says, oh, I must say, it says here at the end that you can add milk or a scoop of ice cream.
2: My mom, so my mom would make baked oatmeal, and then what you would do is you would cut a slice, put it in a bowl, and then pour, like a like maybe like half the bowl of milk, mm-hmm. and then you would just like take your spoon and take a little bit off, and then put milk on your spoon,
0: and and you're talking about mush. You realize
2: I am talking about mush. Oh my god! It just
0: happens to be oat mush.
2: But don't frame it like mush. Mm-hmm. I re- that's a branding choice. I refuse. So, okay, yeah, all right. So, I'm on board. I'm on board with mush as long as you don't call it mush. Fair. That's fair. Like polenta. Yeah, polenta is delicious. Don't and it is them. Don't call it corn mush. It is essentially no. a corn mush.
0: We just don't call it that. I don't no. t- cuz Italians I will, are smart. I will not yep. abide
1: most of italian food is just marketing
0: yeah it's marketed damn well yeah 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 Yeah. pizza they called a whole they called a whole chicken
2: dish chicken tetrazzini because she was a popular opera singer and they were like i bet people will
0: eat this if they think tetrazzini is eating it people do exactly everyone knows what that is yeah yeah let's see what else they've got yoder's pancakes good old yoder and these are i mean they're just pancakes flour baking powder salt oil eggs milk Pancakes. And a shred of Yoder's hair. <laughs> <laughs> From Mary Yoder in Waldron, Michigan. Uh fluffy pumpkin pancakes Ugh. with actual pumpkin. Fuck me up. I'm not talking about pumpkin spice bullshit. Don't get me started. Did talking you know talk about, about actual pumpkin pancakes with I, mashed pumpkin?
2: I think that the pumpkin spice mix at Starbucks now actually has pumpkin in it.
0: It's about damn time. Yeah. Anyway, that that was a tangent. Uh sausage breakfast casserole? Yeah. Yeah, I could get on board with that.
2: I'm like really having
0: a, a <laughs> moment with this cookbook. Oh, they have a granola cereal. Oats and wheat germ, coconut, sunflower seeds, pecans, brown sugar, cinnamon, salt, butter, and honey. And you mix that all together and you bake it for 30 minutes. And then you've got granola. Delicious. And they actually have a recipe for grape nuts. Do you remember that cereal? Grape yeah. nuts? Those tiny, hard little nuggets of wheat. Yeah. Yeah, they have a recipe for it right here. Grape nuts. Grape nuts. It's what it is. It's made out of wheat flour. Yeah so those are some amish breakfasts because you know the amish actually sit down and eat breakfast
2: they do well because they have to
0: because they have to for all of the hard labor that they're doing right mm-hmm.
2: when we were in lancaster we saw an amish guy like on an old time plow being mm-hmm. pulled by horses mm-hmm. like they do hard labor yeah. yeah
0: i um so growing up in iowa i, I grew up in a city so I tell people that I grew up in Iowa and they're like, oh, did you grow up on a farm? Yeah, no, not anywhere near. Um, (laughs) Cedar Rapids is like the third or fourth largest city in Iowa. It's not Chicago, but it's a city city, right? right? But we would go to, there's a little town outside of Cedar Rapids called Kelowna. Funny enough, there's now a milk dairy brand called Kelowna Milk. I don't know if it comes from there, but... Um, Kelowna had a has an Amish community and it is closed but there used to be this cheese making plant it wasn't a plant it was like a I don't know it was like a shop but they made all the cheese there so the family owned a small dairy farm and then they owned this cheese making place where you could go in and buy fresh cheese curds like, oh, wow. like still warm cheese curds, you know, and they put them in a little paper cone for you and they were really cheap and then you could just wander around. But that was basically you were almost on Amish land at that point to go into this cheese place. And so we would see them everywhere, up, buggies up and down and doing their thing, mm-hmm. see them out in the fields plowing and whatnot. It was pretty fascinating. It's, but, it's wild. But hard labor for sure. Yeah. They well, need all those calories. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so that was all of my really nerdy deep, <laughs> deep dive into the history of breakfast. I also happened to go on the Book of Faces. The oh, other do we day. want a round robin? Yes, yes. Okay, first, so Maureen really wants to talk about um <laughs> <laughs> I do too, because Who doesn't want to talk about breakfast more? Uh, Dream breakfast. Is that what you you want to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to round robin our dream breakfast.
1: Mine is really... So it's obviously a trick, as is always with me on this show. Um, Being vegan, like, what is a dream breakfast is is usually like, I wish I could just make this vegan. But (laughs) my favorite breakfast of all time is on Long Island. You go to any bagel shop. And get and if there's a difference between that and a deli and that and a and a bakery, like you have to go to specifically like a place that either makes their own bagels or gets their bagels directly from like a well-known like a a good bagel place, and then they make an egg, bacon, cheese sandwich mm-hmm. on a bagel, and it's the best breakfast food of all time. And but the thing about it, and this is what I'm what I specifically want to talk about is egg yolk. Like, mm-hmm. just that conceptually. Once veganism figures out how to create egg yolk, like that kind of, like, fatty, like, like you know, mm-hmm. that that just... The thing that... Because another thing that I, I'm always like, man, I miss that. It's like a dream of mine. Is um that whole... I'd only ever done this before I went vegan, like, a handful of times. Like, the rice with just egg on it. Oh, yeah. Like, that they do in Japan and stuff. Oh, yeah. That is... Phenomenal. And it's so simple and it's just egg yolk. Oh my God. I went,
0: side note, I went to a Filipino restaurant over near me Mm -hmm. when my parents came to visit and they have a garlic rice. Oh yeah. That was one of the only things on the menu that didn't have like soy or anything, Mm -hmm. but it's basically like a shit ton of fried garlic
3: with jasmine
0: rice and they recommend it with a fried egg. Mm -hmm. So of course that's what I order. And it's a giant bowl of rice and one egg yeah <laughs> so that's fine i eat the egg and i eat you know a decent amount of rice considering but then i had all this so i ate that for breakfast the next two days mm-hmm. this delicious garlic rice with a fried egg on top
1: the closest i, I like- get the closest i get cooking vegan is i'll make tofu scramble yeah but i'm really passionate about my tofu scramble not being like when you get a tofu scramble at a restaurant it's, it's usually a very certain way like the tofu is kind of dry like it's it's usually like bits and pieces like very clear bits and pieces Mm -hmm. i want
2: and they color it yellow with turmeric
1: yeah when i get when i make tofu scramble i want it to be like mushy like scrambled eggs and i always i make a roux Mm -hmm. and then do butter basically i make like a cheese sauce and that's what i cook down with tofu and just beat the tofu down and to,
2: to give it kind of the yolky flavor
1: dijon mustard
2: dijon mustard
0: oh fascinating
1: yeah, and it's definitely not the same, but it's the close... It's like the right direction.
0: Right. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, another side note, we make those bagels at my shop. Bacon, egg, and cheese. They're It's we the don't, best food. We don't make bagels, but we get our right. bagels from the only reputable bagel source. New York in, Bagel and Bialy. Yeah, exactly. So, you, we sell more. And the bacon... Like, the bacon we have right now... Please note, anybody listening who knows about my cafe, we are working towards better bacon. But right now, the facilities that we have, we have like the pre-cooked round bacon. Mm. To me, that's sad bacon. Mm
3: -hmm. But
0: people, the amount of bacon that we go through... For just bacon, egg, and cheddar sandwiches Mm -hmm. on bagels is
1: ridiculous. Now, do you do do it where you can get it over easy, and then you have We
0: don't, because we don't have the facility to do eggs cooked to order, so scrambled is the only way you can get it.
1: But that's, to me, that is the kicker. Yeah, Because when it's on, like, one of those griddles, and it's over easy, and then then it- And then you get the yolk everywhere. And then you have it in parchment paper, and then you end up- With just Because you end up with extra bagel, of course. And so then you dip that in the egg yolk. That is breakfast bliss.
0: When I... The brief time that I lived in London, there was a sandwich shop Mm -hmm. across the street from my flat. And that is what we ate for breakfast. Because that's what they... That was their specialty. Was basically egg sandwiches. Now, it wasn't a bagel. Mm -hmm. It was bread. It was just white bread. They had this big old griddle and you could pick what you wanted. You either get just egg, egg and cheese, egg, cheese, and bacon egg, cheese, and sausage or egg and meat with no cheese. Like you could, whatever you wanted, but it was always like that, like toasted in butter first. The toast was toasted on the griddle in butter. And then they would layer it with, you know, your fried egg and the yolk would get everywhere. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel that. Mm. Your turn, Maureen. So
2: my, so my like breakfast, Changes, right? Um, my high school like glory days breakfast, where like breakfast was made for me, mm. was cocoa weeds.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, where but we didn't Which just is
1: basically like the closest thing to compare it to would be like chocolate, not even oatmeal, like it's chocolate
2: chocolate cream of wheat. Yeah, got it. But if you just make cocoa weeds. As the recipe recommends, it sucks. <laughs> so what you have to do is you add you have to add a spoonful of peanut butter, uh, specifically chunky peanut butter. Okay. okay. And then, what I do now is I add frozen berries to it. Yum. And so then it's like this peanut butter, this like thick cream of wheat chocolatey peanut buttery with just like spots of like really juicy berries Mm
0: -hmm. and it's very good that sounds very good um that sounds amazing
2: yeah it's very good
0: i there's a soft spot in my heart for cream of wheat i can't eat it anymore but right I, i remember specifically when we ate a lot of it when or i ate a lot of it when my sister was still a baby and she was just getting into solid foods because cream of wheat you could feed to a baby, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So that meant that I ate it as well. And I love that shit. It's so good. It's so good. But I, I would just get the regular, and then my my mom would let me put brown sugar and butter on it.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we good. ate cream of wheat too. We were we were a big cocoa wheat. I guess we ate a lot of mush. <laughs> God damn it. We ate mm, so much mush.
1: Yeah, a lot of German we, British Isles energy. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, we were a big German Irish family. No, we, we, uh, yeah, I ate a lot of cream of wheat. I ate a lot of, um, and like even, even today, like I eat a ton of oatmeal for mm-hmm. breakfast. I eat a ton of cocoa wheats for breakfast. But then I also love a good hash. Yes. Where I just, like, saute a bunch of, like, vegetables and
0: potatoes, sprinkle it with paprika. hmm Oh, my God. Yum. So, I'm one of those people that when you go to a restaurant for brunch, I have the hardest time deciding between the sweet and the savory.
2: It's so hard. It's so
0: hard, right? So, my dream breakfast has both.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: Right? So, whether it's you know, uh some eggs and hash browns with a side of pancakes or some kind of crepe that's like sweet and savory at the same time. Combining the two forces, that is my dream breakfast. But there must be coffee. There must be bacon if we're talking dream breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. This is I'm not talking about what I eat on a regular basis because mm-hmm. I'm I'm bad at breakfast. But in some kind of delicious something with maple syrup on it. But then I got to have eggs. Yeah, I I have to. I just Mm -hmm. have to. So, but I do love a good hash. I love uh, sweet potatoes with... I do like... So there's this restaurant in Michigan called The Bomber. Have I talked about The Bomber here before? The Bomber's like, it's like a greasy diner, but it's been around since the 1930s. Oh, wow. And it's actually in Ypsilanti, not in Ann Arbor. But it's uh, decorated inside with all... um, fighter pilot memorabilia from World War II. So it, it's a little intense, but it's kind of cool. It's a lot of history, yeah. right? But they have the skillet breakfasts, right? That come in the little cast iron skillet. And so it's potatoes and meat and eggs and cheese layered on top of each other. And that to me is bliss. And if I could have that with a side of tiny pancakes. Oh yeah. maple syrup or, or waffles really good waffles. I love waffles. I just Those had would be a deal.
2: I just had a breakfast memory that I oh, think yeah? is a good segue into the Facebook yes. stuff. Yes. So, I said earlier that breakfast wasn't a big thing in my family, and I just remembered something where it was a big deal. Mm. And it wasn't breakfast at home. It was going out for breakfast. Ooh. But oh. going out for breakfast on weekdays. Okay. The pr- so the way that it would go, and actually a lot of the time I would be excluded from this because I was because I was the latest sleeper. Oh, fair. Um cuz the key to going out for breakfast on a school day was you had to leave the house by 7:15. Oof. And I usually got out of bed at 7:30. So you had to be ready for school at 7.15 in order to walk out the door. In order to then be able to go to this breakfast place that opened at Mm 7. That was um, like a five minute drive. It was called Heinemann's. We called it Heine's. Of course. And what we would do is we would all on the days that I would go. um, (laughs) What we would do is that we would all get breakfast. And we would do my my dad would get his own thing. He would always get something called the North Okay. I don't remember what it was, but I remember that it was called the North Woods. Right. Um
1: well, Was it savory or sweet? Savory. Yeah. So it was probably just like
0: it's not, it sounds like some kind of hash or
1: skillet. I think there. I think thing.
2: that. <laughs> I think there was. I think there was fried ham. Yeah. Okay. Um. But what my mom would do is we would all look at the menu, and at a certain point, my mom would put the menu down and go split skis. <laughs> and one of us would go yes and so what split keys was is one of one of us would get a savory thing and the other one would get a sweet thing and then split and then once and then we would ask for an extra plate and then mm-hmm. once it came my mom would orchestrate the split ski yep i i, I love that i love yeah. that plan yeah and it was specific and it all she had to say with split ski yep. and she'd be like okay i'm gonna get this and you're gonna get this Done and done. Yeah. Excellent. My dad never participated in the split ski. Aw. And it was also, it also was the only acceptable way that Patrick and I would ever be late to school because there would be days where breakfast would take longer. Right. But it was important. And so my parents would call and be like, oh, car troubles
0: running late. Nice. Yeah. So we would have, like, I don't honestly remember regular breakfast routine. I'm sure it was cereal of some kind. I do remember having cream of wheat. I remember having oatmeal. But on the weekends was oftentimes when my dad would cook breakfast. So Saturdays usually were his his thing. And it was either his version of oatmeal, which. I mean, to this day, we don't call it oatmeal. We call it avena, which is what you call it in Venezuela. It's a Spanish word for it, but it's more like a soup. So it was made so that it was really, really runny and you could. Drink almost drink it out of a mug Mm -hmm. and he would heavily season it with cinnamon and nutmeg and cloves and it had brown sugar and sometimes he put like a drizzle of sweetened condensed milk and this was like definitely like a winter food right and he would make this on Saturdays and he would pour me a big hot mug of it and sit me down in front of the cartoons and that was bliss oh my god and then later growing up I remember if he had a choice to make Well, it's usually more like brunch on a Saturday, but uh, arepas, which are the corn cakes. Right. Yeah. And that, even to this day, when I go visit them over a weekend, oftentimes it's either Saturday or Sunday when mom goes, are we having arepas? Who's making them? Because she doesn't always, you know, it's like the weekend is like her time off from cooking. Right. And so sometimes dad will be like, yeah, I'll make them. And he makes all the arepas and we get stuff out of the fridge and it's usually like, ham and cheese and this other kind of cheese and some butter and oh we've got some avocados let's slice those up and oh do we have any leftover beans let's put some beans on it like we just put everything on the table and then if my brother-in-law's there there's bacon because bacon um (laughs) so it's just like this big like smorgasbord of stuff that starts with the arepa and then builds out from there and that's like that's an iconic kind of breakfast to me but so I posted this very question on, on on the Book of Faces. Like, I asked people to tell me, tell me your breakfast stories. Tell me mm-hmm. your memories or your favorite breakfast. Or if you have stories about breakfast from other countries or anything like that. Or what do you like to eat? Or what do you hate to eat? Or do you have strong feelings about what breakfast is and what it isn't, you know? So I got a lot of responses. So I'm going to quickly go through... Some of them. I'm probably not going to mention all of them. Um, I did tell people that it was for the podcast, so I am going to use names. Cool. And people can get their shout outs. And I'm sorry if you were hoping for a shout out and you don't get one. It's not that I don't love you. It's that I had like 30 some responses, which is amazing. That is amazing. And it happened in like two days. That's Like awesome. not even two days. So uh, the very first person that posted was uh, Ann Sloven. Mm-hmm. Uh, who doesn't live in Chicago anymore, but a lot of us know her in the singing community. And she, within minutes, she was telling me how she's a creature of habit. And for years she's been starting her day with whole wheat English muffins with peanut butter. For years. Wow. And what's interesting to me is that she says that that stemmed out of the brief time that she did Weight Watchers. Yeah. And now it's so conditioned that that's just how she likes to start her day. Yeah,
1: it's she, a th- solid way to start your day, though, right? Like-
0: she says she even prefers the um, what's the brand name? Thomas's one hundred calorie English muffins. Mm. Like it became such an ingrained habit that it's just a thing now, I which get I that. find fascinating. Um, she does say that sometimes she'll vary it with like maybe she'll have oatmeal one day or avocado toast, but. It's pretty and and she's veered away from processed foods like Skippy so she gets the freshly ground peanut butter oh, but yeah. still english yeah. muffin peanut butter um she wrote a lot too and then she went on to talk about um when she's got house guests and the special breakfast that she might make for them or what you know somebody might make for her and i'm not going to go into everything she wrote cuz she wrote a lot But what I found really cool about what she wrote is that um, one of her exes, they used to have breakfast dates because their evening schedules never matched up. So they would plan their dates for breakfast. Right. And she says, I think a breakfast date, especially homemade breakfast, is more intimate than a dinner date. It just feels like a special time of day that we don't let just anybody else in on. At least that's how I feel about sitting down with my coffee and toast every day. And I just find something so, like, beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. Like, she's right. Breakfast is not a time that you automatically just let anybody into. Yeah, because you're not your best. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially if you don't live with somebody, you know, like, I'm assuming this person, this ex that she's talking about, I'm assuming they didn't live together. Right. Because they went out of their way to have breakfast dates. Breakfast dates. Right. Um, but I thought that was really very cool. Um... And then she did say something about breakfast. One of the breakfast memories that stands out in her mind was from a hotel breakfast she had in Israel when she was on her birthright. And she was like, I remember fresh dates and carrot salad and feta cheese and soft boiled eggs, which all sounds like weird and different and delicious. Mm -hmm. And I'm loving it. And I would love to eat a breakfast like that that sounds
2: amazing (laughs) that sounds
0: amazing right um another friend of mine emily just wrote omelets omelets for days all the omelets but omelets that have stuff in the middle rather than omelets that have stuff mixed through yeah
3: Mm.
0: no
2: that's how my mom makes omelets
0: which i also learned from that little docuseries that i was watching that omelets came about obviously from the french Mm mm-hmm way like medieval period filtered into england as things did right there was a lot of back and forth there Mm -hmm. and omelets became all the rage in england they were huge massive because you could put anything in them everybody had eggs eggs were cheap eggs were plentiful and then whatever else you had on hand you could just shove inside an omelet
2: voila omelet
0: omelet call it breakfast um, she's also a big fan of the cream of wheat with a pat of butter.
2: Oh man, it's so good. I like when I get cream, I like when I go to the store and get cream of wheat and Daniel, mm. Daniel will scoff and I will laugh because I, I know just I'll be right.
1: I just, it's just mush. There's it no is decidedly not mush. I mean
0: it, it technically is. But, no. But it's delicious and comforting. <laughs> it's so good. Um. So Coda, do you guys know Coda? Mm-hmm. Yes. Coda talks about uh, he now has an eight to five work day. That's a long day. <sighs> Yikes. Um, so his breakfast is usually coffee and a pastry or some fruit at his desk. Coda. Yeah. Coda, my love. I feel for you. I wish that you had time to sit down. What was and eat that? Real breakfast.
1: Oatmeal, uh, baked oatmeal. Baked, baked oatmeal. oatmeal. That feels like something you could like make in bulk and then bring in, you know? Yeah. Probably. Probably.
2: Man, baked oatmeal is so good.
0: I had forgotten about baked oatmeal.
1: I know. Now that you said that I want to try that, that sounds really good. Yeah,
0: it's... I, I've hierarchy. not actually ever had it, but it sounds good. I might try it at home. Well, it just
1: sounds like oatmeal cake.
0: Yeah.
2: It is oatmeal cake. And which, then you... which
0: then you could put things on top of. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like maple syrup. Yep. Yeah. I really like maple syrup, in case you haven't caught on. No,
1: I, <laughs> I, I, I'm very pro-maple syrup.
0: Um, Coda does say, though, that uh, on occasion when he gets to be at home um he'll make breakfast bruschetta from nigella lawson do you guys know nigella lawson i've heard the name she's a, a british cook mm. um she's actually um she's a really great writer a really descriptive writer mm. so she was known first as a food writer cool. and then somebody gave her a show but she speaks the way she writes mm-hmm. so when she talks about food she talks about how vibrant and juicy and and you know and she goes on to these descriptors that just make you want to eat everything in front of you. Um, but he apparently gets sourdough bread from La Boulangerie, which is down the street from him, and then makes this breakfast bruschetta from that, which sounds delicious.
2: I grew up in a in a town where we had a breakfast place called La Boulangerie. Oh yeah, but everyone called it La Boo. La Boo. And, um, I love that. Let's go to Laboo. And it was like, that was another popular breakfast. we um, Weekday morning weekday breakfast. Weekday morning breakfast. Because it was actually on the way to my school. Nice. So it was more
0: convenient than than Heine's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Stan basically said, what don't I eat?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Which in his listing here... You know, he's a, he's hearkening back a little bit to the time when you ate what was left over, when it wasn't about specific foods for breakfast. So he says sometimes he has cereal with milk or granola on yogurt. Sometimes he has peanut butter and jelly. He says yesterday morning I ate leftover orange chicken. You know, it just mm-hmm. it just depends on what you've got. But his parents apparently were really great cooks. Mm. So he said sometimes it's dad's. It was dad's ham and eggs or mom's frijoles con chorizo or, you know, oatmeal or cream of wheat. See, everybody likes cream of wheat. Dan, get on board. I
1: think that that's a mistake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make you I cream think, of wheat. I think. Well, no, because like, I he's,
1: like a conspiracy. To he's me. had
2: he's had my like a game perfection cocoa wheats, and I he's just like, don't like and he's the like.
1: Well, uh, this is the thing too with oatmeal. I like dry oatmeal. I don't mean that. I don't mean dry like not. I like very little boiled water in my oatmeal. Like I like it just just oh. cooked. Like a little al-dente. See, that's
0: weird to me. Mm, no, You see. would really hate my dad's oatmeal.
1: I like it. It's t- like I mean, soup. but that sounds really good because it sounds like soup. For me, yeah. it's when it's like too much in this middle area of like Mush. You yeah. Don't, you don't
2: like <laughs> you don't like glop.
1: I don't. I, I don't like I need texture. I need to I need to either grab onto something intensely or drink it.
0: Okay, that's fair. But it's a really good thing that you didn't live back in the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. And that you didn't have to be in a workhouse and eat peas porridge all day long. Just saying. I'm just saying. That's legit. Count your lucky stars.
1: That I'm not
0: Oliver. <laughs> that you're not Oliver. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, so this friend of mine, Kira, talks about when she went to Germany when she was 18... And remembers that their breakfast being set up with like six different kinds of bread to choose from on the table. It was all on the table at once and fresh orange juice. And she says, I'm sure there was more than that, but it was the breads that always stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Just all these different breads for breakfast. Um, in, when she was in Belize, they went to a local market the day before. And then breakfast in the morning would be things like hard boiled eggs with fresh melon and instant coffee. So still, you've got eggs, fruit. These are still typical in a place like Belize that's not here. Um, So I have to read my brother-in-law's because it's very detailed. I might not read the whole thing. Um, So my brother-in-law, Daniel, he's... My sister likes to cook, but Daniel finds a certain joy in it. Daniel's a morning person. My sister's not. So he's the one that gets up and makes breakfast.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Which... She has no objection to. am like, you're lucky you found somebody uh, yeah. who will How make you breakfast. Not? How yeah. can you be upset about that? Right. So, but he had to break his down into two, two parts. He calls it before the squish and after the squish. The squish is what we call my nephew. Squishy. Who is allergic to eggs. Oh, so yeah. So, they but, don't have eggs in their house anymore at all. To avoid any kind of cross contact. But, before the squish came around... And Daniel would work really early mornings. He would make fried eggs over hard so that they're easy to eat in the car. And then either sausage or bacon and put it between either bread or English muffins. So he made himself Mm -hmm. breakfast sandwiches almost every day. When he married my sister and they started cooking together, he would make big batches on the weekend and then wrap them and freeze them. So Mm -hmm. then he'd just have to grab it and throw it in the microwave, which was brilliant, right? After the squish, there's no eggs. There's no eggs, there's no nuts, so there's no nut butter. There's no sesame. None of that can even be in the house. Wow. Yeah. So he says, um, I have been less reliant on grains for fear of cross-contamination with sesame. Because oftentimes, because sesame is not a top eight allergen, it's not always listed. Mm. And my sister will then have to either call the company or email the company to find out what the possible cross-contamination is. With a lot of bread products and things like that, sesame is is a possible cross-contamination so less grains um he says uh eliminated eggs so that they aren't even in the house this means that i have an even simpler and speedier breakfast of salami or sausage and cheese so this is his weekday thing they go to a farmer's market once a week they buy some fancy cheese they get some salami because it's the least processed of the luncheon meats right in the luncheon meat world. Salami is the least processed. He likes the ones with the big chunks in it. That's what he eats for breakfast. He cuts some of that. He grabs it. He goes.
3: Nice.
0: Now, when he's talking about that's for when he has to go to work, but Saturdays and Sundays, he gets a little more fancy bacon. Always, always bacon, baked bacon, which he goes into how he does that. But you know what? I'll let you keep that secret, Daniel. um let's see and then usually because there's no eggs so they have bacon and usually some kind of sweet potato hash Mm. that's usually cooked in the fat from the bacon and with herbs and then sometimes he'll throw some avocado on there they always have like a nice french roast you know so they're not having the eggs but they have plenty Mm -hmm. plenty of food sweet potatoes bacon that kind of thing um and yeah, he's real picky about how he cooks his bacon. There's a whole like PS in here about it. We won't go into that. So yeah, before the squish and after the squish. Um my friend Jory, who is a local singer here, she teaches at Moody College. Mm-hmm. Um, she just wrote eggs fried in bacon grease. Because. <laughs> yeah. I feel that, Jory.
1: No that's off.
0: To my soul, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see here's another vote for cream of wheat from megan cook ah cream of wheat
1: forever Um, Now look i mean i get it that people like it i'm just saying they're wrong like there are a lot of people that like it i just think they have bad taste okay
0: but here's here's what she says she says i alternate cream of wheat or oatmeal and then in parentheses she writes it's a childhood thing some people hate it i really like it so she understands Mm -hmm. um and then usually she has hard boiled eggs, avocado, or she makes egg bites in the instant pot.
1: Now I will say, now that we've talked about it and I've kind of like yes. verbalized out, I would be interested in trying to see if there's a way to make cream of wheat, how I like my oatmeal, like a little less.
2: It's very finely ground. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm not sure how that That's, would work.
1: That is not enjoyable to me. Unless it's turned into bread.
0: Huh. Well, and then it's just bread. Right. Just eat toast.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the whole point of cream of wheat originally was for children. Right. You know, it's it's it doesn't require a lot of chewing. It's easy to eat if you don't have mm-hmm. teeth. It's easily digested because it's ground down. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. You know. <laughs>
2: Makes yeah. me feel a bit, a bit geriatric that I that I like it so much. But, but people uh, like
0: it because as Megan pointed out, it's a nostalgic thing. Yeah, it is very because nostalgic. You, you ate it as a child, yeah. therefore you I mean, still yeah, like to eat it.
1: I definitely did not eat that as a child. Like anytime especially like whenever I had to eat something that was that was mushy, it was always overcooked pasta.
3: Mm.
2: Oh, so you don't Okay.
1: I remember that. Anytime I had any kind of tooth because I've had a lot of tooth surgeries anything like that, it was always overcooked pasta. And that is a a vivid memory I have. Okay. That's also just growing up Italian. Right, right.
0: Like,
2: oh, Daniel, he can't eat anything hard. We're just going to boil the pasta for another.
0: (laughs) couple of minutes. Another five minutes or whatever. Um, Well, I, for a little while, I mean, I, I had cream of wheat as a child. I really liked it. But for a little while, I was on the shredded wheat. Bandwagon, the big ones—you know the big shredded wheat biscuits that they used to sell. Yeah, with hot milk poured on top. Oh, interesting! And then honey and um, yeah, honey or brown it, sugar. Did you ever have Wheaties? Yes, I hate wheat <laughs> I liked them, but but for like a hot minute, you know. And yeah. I think the only reason that I ate the shredded wheat in the first place was because that's what Grandpa ate. Mm-hmm. My mom and my
2: brother. So, Weedabix is big. It's an it's a, it's a British Isles thing. They yeah, have it's it in, huge. In it's England. everywhere. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Um, but in Ireland, they obviously also had Weedabix. And when my family would go, my mom and my brother lost their minds over the... They're like, oh, my God, everybody has Weedabix. I'm so excited. Because they come... It like... It's a box. So, it's a box of cereal. Mm-hmm. But there are like four...
0: Bricks, yeah, in there, and that's like, that's it. Yeah, and well, and that's how shredded wheat used to come. Yeah, it used to come in these big. I don't remember if it was actually called shredded wheat or if it was called something else, but it came in not the little bite sized pieces, but like these big. That you would just pour milk on, and then you would just, like,
2: stab it with your spoon. But in the
0: wintertime, Grandpa would pour hot milk on it, and then because my grandfather had a major sweet tooth, he would sprinkle some sugar on top of that and then pour honey on top of that. And that, to me, seemed really appealing. So I was on that kick for a little while, but obviously I don't eat that anymore either. Um... Hannah Ballish mentions that her family eats a lot of those Belveda breakfast crackers when mm. they have to get out the door real fast. I
2: used to eat those uh, when I worked at an office. Really? I don't yeah. think I've
0: ever had them. Are they good? They're fine.
1: They're They're f- the thing that you grab that are convenient when you have to be at an office at nine o'clock. Yeah and you're like, oh shit, I'm running late. I need
0: something Just, in my stomach. Yeah. yeah. She does talk about this uh, when she gets inspired, she makes this meal. That she got from the idea from a diner she used to go to in college, and she calls it the "quote unquote" hot mess, and it's layered tater tots with scrambled eggs, sausage gravy, and cheese, mm-hmm. because she says that she has a deep and abiding love for biscuits and sausage gravy. I never got uh, sausage. Uh, I think I feel about sausage gravy oh, really? the way you feel about cream of wheat.
1: See, for me, it you need it has to be with biscuits. That's, that's fair. How, that's, that's fair. Because the same... Because... But then oh, least... like,
2: Are you talking like white gravy?
0: Is there another kind with sausage in it?
2: Yeah, no. Because... No, I'm just like clarifying like as opposed yeah. to... Yeah. Yeah. I really like white gravy. It's really... Mm, I but guess, I, yeah. I love breakfast sausage. Like even when I ate meat,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I didn't like bacon. I... If I was given the option of like bacon versus sausage... Mm-hmm always sausage Mm -hmm. okay I didn't even really like ham I didn't eat I generally didn't eat pork for some reason pork didn't sit well with me okay like messed with my stomach yeah Yeah. I know a few people like that and so I would always go for although pork sausage you know whatever I mean I do
1: love but like what is sausage even you know I mean
0: it's grind up some meat and put it in a casing usually but I love breakfast sausage as well
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but swimming in a gravy just kind of throws me off mm-hmm. i think i just like mush <laughs> i'm having like a, i'm having like a mush revelation you're, you really yeah. are you know you're gonna have to try that gram mush now
1: see and if, for me it has to be like <laughs> the gram mush it has to be well cooked like it has to be like a good roux and like you've really bound it you know
0: yeah well and that's fair i get it i get it mm-hmm. it's just and i've had it. it just wasn't it's not going to be my top choice yeah, if sure. there are other options.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, Hannah does say something that I really love. Um, she said, I think putting in the effort to cook breakfast, despite still being sleepy and hungry for yourself is an act of love. I, I think
2: that there's something to that. And I, I love that. The mornings that I make myself breakfast, I feel really accomplished. That right? I like make myself breakfast. Like,
0: wow, I really adulted and it's the day's just starting.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. My my schedule I I'm at a I'm at a bit of an advantage when it comes to making breakfast though because my work day doesn't start until like 3 cuz I teach yeah music yeah. lessons. But when I was working in a um when I was working in a coffee shop, I'd be there at like 6. Mm-hmm. And so the the nights that I would make myself overnight oats or something like that were like the best days.
0: I will say I could I love breakfast, but I'm bad at getting myself going early enough. And it doesn't even it's not even that early because I can basically roll into work whenever mm-hmm. I deem necessary. Um but something about like knowing that I want to get say I want to get to work at like 10 or 11, well then I'm going to get up at like 9:30, right? But then I also have so I have to wait an hour after I've gotten up and taken my thyroid medication before I can eat anything. Mm -hmm. So that kind of planning, like, I just don't... I'm bad at it. So I generally make myself a smoothie before I head out the door. And it's usually got spinach and some kind of frozen fruit and, you know, a protein powder and almond milk and, you know, it's filling enough, but it's not what I consider, like, a real breakfast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the idea of, like... Preparing a breakfast for myself before I, on a regular day. That's like a major, that's a major accomplishment. In oh, my yeah. Book. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, I think that I've gotten through most of these stories that I was going to tell. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people just wrote, you know, what they really like to eat. Or what they generally eat. Somebody talks about perfecting the French omelet. Or making Gordon Ramsay's perfect scrambled eggs with bacon. See, eggs and bacon, man. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Eggs and bacon is a thing. We've gone full circle. We've gone full circle. And, you know, I think, again, just what we're missing at this point is the actual act of sitting down and having a meal first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that we just don't do anymore. I don't even do it.
1: Yeah.
0: I wish I did. I would like to.
1: For me, it's, I wish I had a, like, a true dining room.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That would make it really easy.
0: Yeah. See, I have one, and I, t- <laughs> I still don't eat breakfast. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, so I will say, I used to, like, literally not eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. I would have coffee, and then I wouldn't eat anything until lunchtime. The The act of having making the smoothie that's become, like, my weekday morning ritual mm-hmm. is a notch ahead of where I was before. So that's something. Yeah. Right. On the weekends, I go, I go ham, like bacon, eggs, arepas or toast or, you know, roasted sweet potatoes and duck fat, like whatever. I I make all kinds of stuff on the weekends. But when I was doing the whole 30, that was when I was most adherent, I think, to an actual self-loving breakfast if mm. that makes sense like and that was because i pl- i had to plan so far in advance so i would make a week's worth of ingredients and i do them individually right so i would roast off a crap ton of sweet potatoes those go in one container cook off a whole mess of kale and Swiss chard that goes in a different container. I would hard boil a whole dozen eggs that goes in a separate container. And then I would cook off a whole pound of bacon or a bunch of breakfast sausage patties or whatever. And that went in a separate container. And then in the morning it was literally like fill up a bowl with all the things, chuck it in the microwave, take it out, pour some hot sauce on it and eat it. But it was still like yards ahead of just a smoothie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. some At some point, I'll get back to that. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try, like, a like real breakfast. I'm going to yeah. see if I can get back into that. Like a daily... Ritual. Ritual of sitting down. I think, what if
2: you challenge yourself that for a week, you were going to sit down and eat breakfast every morning. Every morning mm-hmm. for a week.
1: That should be a Hearth and Soul challenge. I love that. Yeah.
2: I love that. The Hearth when and Soul... When
1: this episode comes out.
2: Hearth and, sh- hearth and Soul Breakfast Challenge.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I don't know exactly when this episode gonna is going to come out. On it's going to be list.
1: episode 7.
0: Episode 7 sometime in the fall. October, yeah. November is when this is going right. to drop. So when it happens, we'll do a post
1: a breakfast challenge.
0: And we'll issue the breakfast challenge and then people who take part in such challenge post can on social media, post their the pictures of their breakfast. On their social media, or on my social media, on the hearts and Soul. We'll, we'll come up with a hashtag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. I love this. And I'm going to do it too, and we'll all do it together, and it will be great, and we'll all feel so much better about ourselves, I think. Yeah. yeah. So on that note, even though we've been talking for about food for a long time now, um, what's in your pie hole, guys?
2: So I have a very definitive answer to this question, because okay. I've been going back and literally all i've been eating is going back and forth between two meals for about a week wow because i'm obsessed with both (laughs) and they're what i want to eat right now and i've my i just i haven't been feeling well recently Mm. like my stomach is a little messed up and so these are the only two things that sound good to me and so i'm just leaning into it awesome (laughs) um I found this amazing yogurt. It's called lava yogurt. And it's not soy-based or almond-based or anything. It's coconut cream and plantains and, like, and, like, nuts and lime juice and there's no added sugar and it's so good. And I've just it been like, good. yeah, I had and some. It's, it's, it's Angela. Good. It is a, it is an interest. It is a rare intersection between what <laughs> Angela and I can, can, both, can eat. both eat. Can both eat. um But it's, it's so good. And I've just been like chopping up whatever fruit and whatever cereal I have and putting that in a bowl and eating it. And then the other thing I've been doing is sourdough bread mm. and then either hummus or cream cheese vegan cream cheese sliced up heirloom tomato Mm -hmm. salt and pepper and fresh basil
0: that does not sound terrible
2: and that is all i've been eating for literally a week
0: (laughs) you know go with it yeah and and it's that's a very seasonal way to eat yeah Mm -hmm. because that's what's in season fruit and fresh fruit and fresh tomatoes
2: Literally when we're done recording, I'm going to, I have some jarred peaches in the fridge right now mm. and I'm going to put it in, put From it in some yogurt. Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania. Nice. I'm going to put it in some, some yogurt.
1: peaches. Amish peaches.
2: McCutcheon vanilla
0: peaches. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. fancy. Yeah.
1: I have just been eating, a, the thing that's been in my pie hole is Beyond Burgers. Okay. I mean, I don't know why, what, what I've been in the last week, I've just been like, I really want burgers. And... I just discovered the beyond meat has come out with this like nine dollar
3: you discovered this maureen
1: discovered it thank
3: <laughs> you very much but, Credit I've,
1: but I've been you. thriving with it which is just it's like it's like ground beef but vegan uh-huh. and it's cheaper than ground beef for for by, per ounce um and it's Just exactly what, like, the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger is, except it's just, like, a big hunk of... So you can do anything with it that you do with ground beef. Okay. Nice. So that's just what I've been doing. Excellent. A lot of that. Just because I've been... We've been doing... The last... We keep mentioning Pennsylvania. We were there shooting a documentary, and so, like, food has to just kind of be, like, this is satisfying... And an right idiot. Right. Yeah. yeah
0: this is what's here and this will work and right. i'm gonna eat this i
1: can put this in a pan really quick and it'll yeah. taste good no matter what right yeah nice
0: um so i've been eating believe it or not a lot of toast this past week um we i don't want to say interviewed um we had a tasting uh at work with a new bakery that's around the corner from us they are called mindful baking And they are an entirely gluten-free vegan bakery. And they make breads and pastries, donuts, cookies, that kind of thing. Um, And what's funny is that the woman who works there, she noticed our cafe. We didn't know they were there. She was walking by and looked in and thought we looked cool and knocked on the door. We happened to be closed. And so um, one of our employees opened the door and was like, can I help you? And so she gave a card and everything. We were like, you gotta email the boss. It's the only way you're ever going to – if you're interested in selling here, you got to email the boss. So she did, and he set up a tasting and asked me to be part of it since it would be for our gluten-free customers, basically, mm-hmm. and our vegan customers. Um, so we sat down with her, and she brought, like, three kinds of muffin and three kinds of donut and, like, four kinds of cookies and this loaf of bread that was primarily made out of ground flax – and it looks a little bit heavy, but it's not. Like, it, it's going to be dense because it's gluten-free, but it's not like, you know, a lot of breads that are gluten-free and vegan. You're thinking, mm. like, that's going to be like a brick. What is it
1: going to be made out of, right?
0: Yeah, but no, this was, it had a nice crust on it, but then the middle was soft, mm. which was nice. And it's, it toasts up really nicely. Um, So we tasted it, and then my boss sent everything that was left home with me because... No one else in the shop needs it gluten-free, but I do. Um, And our one resident vegan has moved away. Um, (sighs) So he sent them home with me, and it was enough bread that I've been eating toast, like, every day for the last almost week now. And it's delicious, and it makes a good sandwich, and it holds up to butter, and it holds up to jam, and it holds up to peanut butter, and it's just... And it's not sweet, so you can make a sandwich. Like, I made a turkey sandwich out of it, and it was delicious.
2: Oh, my gosh. And it
0: didn't fall apart. That's yeah. what. That's what's so magical. That's amazing. It didn't fall apart. And so when I asked her for the ingredients, she's going to send me, like, a more comprehensive list of what's in everything. But off of her head, she was like, you know, it's ground flax. There's um, white rice flour, brown rice flour, sweet rice flour, a little bit of tapioca flour, which is good because too much tapioca can mess with people's digestive system Mm -hmm. right it messes with mine i don't know about the rest of y'all but um and then she was like you know a little bit of salt and some yeast and some water and i think that's pretty much it so it's really basic and there's no eggs to hold it together it because it's flax right right so and it's this beautiful like dark brown loaf with these little flecks in it and it smells really nice and i ate the last of it today
3: Oh yeah.
2: All right.
0: R.I.P. R.I.P. Mindful baking bread. I mean, I'm sure. I think we're going to start ordering from them uh, wholesale, so that at Spoken we can now we will be able to offer a gluten free option for your sandwich. Um, that's awesome. As well as a few handful of gluten free cookies and or pastries. They're they make this pistachio cookie that's ridiculous. Like as soon as we start carrying them, I'm gonna bring you guys some because my boss and I were <laughs> yes! both like, "What the hell did I just put in my mouth? This is magic, truly That's magical." Awesome. And the fact that he was impressed, he because after she left, he was like, "I don't know how they did this, but yeah. I'm impressed." To be yeah. gluten free and vegan is a very difficult thing. Yes, because generally you replace the gluten with eggs in baking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But there's there's no eggs. Right. So. That's what I've been eating. That's what's in my pie hole.
1: Nice.
0: Flax bread. It's delicious. I hope to get some more. And on that note, I think we've talked your guys' ears off about breakfast. (laughs) This has been a long episode. If you've hung with us this far, thanks. Um, You know where to find me on social medias. And uh, yeah, post your pictures. Yeah. About your breakfast challenge, which when this, you know, we'll put the info out when we actually drop this episode. We'll come up with a hashtag. It'll be all kinds of fun. How about break your fast?
1: Ooh.
2: I
0: love it. Hashtag break your fast. Hashtag break your fast.
1: Hashtag break your fast.
0: Done. That's going to be the hashtag. So it'll be a one week challenge. And by one week, I'm thinking like from Sunday to Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a good idea. Because Sunday is a good day to start something like this because you've got a little Mm -hmm. more time on your hands.
1: And then you have your last Sunday to look forward to. So including both. So eight days total. Exactly.
0: And I don't... When I'm talking about Sunday, I mean an actual breakfast before you get going. Yeah. I'm not talking about brunch at one o'clock in the no, afternoon. we're talking, talking about breakfast. Breakfast. Sit down and eat before you walk out the door. And it doesn't have to adhere to any iconic breakfast food. It doesn't have to be eggs and bacon. It can be whatever it is that you like to eat for breakfast. Just sit down and eat something. Sit down yeah. and have a meal. Treat yourself. Not in front of the television, please. Let's let's make that part mm-hmm. of it, because I, you know, I should eat at a table as well. Yeah. So let's eat at a table together, breakfast from Sunday to Sunday. Hashtag break your fast. And on that note, I'm going to sign off, and I'll see you all next time. See ya.